everybody, welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Wintrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As a reminder, we're available on all podcast platforms, so be sure to rate and subscribe. You can also check us out on the Marquee Sports Network app. And by the way, you can stream Cubs baseball today. Head to watchmarquee.com for more information. I'm Tony Andraghi here, joined by Andy Martinez, Andy Andre Martinez. We were coming up with a nickname for you earlier today. But uh, we're recapping a big week at Wrigley Field. Really short homestand, three games, but really impactful homestand for the Cubs. Taking two of three against the first place Brewers losing game one but then coming back and winning game two and three in very different fashions but both thrilling fashions and now only three games back heading into an off day and then another big weekend series against the the reds but andy what just stood out to you from this week here against the brewers i think this was as close to a playoff environment as we've seen for the cubs since really probably 2020 when they were actually in the playoffs they haven't really had that playoff-like environment yet. And I know we can talk about some of the games leading up to the trade deadline uh, in St. Louis, especially like those Those were ratcheted up a little bit because the Cubs knew they wanted to win to, to try and become buyers. But to me, the, the biggest takeaway was those three games just felt like playoff games. And in a lot of ways, the way David Ross managed them, the way Craig Council managed them, those were playoff games, right? Those are moves that you make where it's like you're going to ride your starter a little bit longer. Justin Seals at, is at a high pitch count. He's going to get that six, and he's going to go through the six before Ross turns it over to, the, to his three horses at the back end of the bullpen. Again, on, on, on Wednesday, he does that with Kyle Hendricks, goes to the sixth inning, and then is able to turn to those three guys. It just felt like a playoff-like environment. And, and for the Cubs, it was, it was good for them to win that. And David Ross mentioned that after the game on Tuesday where he's like, it would have been nice to have blown them out, beat them 10 to nothing or whatever it was, and he would have felt good, right? Like he would have been able to breathe easier. It would have been like it wouldn't have been so tense that whole game. But really, the the fact to be able to win a one nothing game was huge for this team, especially as they try and push for for an October bid. Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% that it very much felt like playoffs at Wrigley Field. And I remember on this podcast we were talking like in April, it kind of felt like the playoffs against the Mariners right. and the Rangers yeah, yeah. and that homestand. And uh, obviously, this is so much further into the season and like. So much has happened since yeah. then, since mid mid to late April. But yeah, for for the Cubs to uh, to rebound from, you know, obviously the first game didn't go the way that they wanted to. They didn't do a ton against Wade Miley. Jamison Tyone had a really tough first inning. But even the the defense, James Swanson and Nico Horner made errors in a game for the first time together all season. Like it just didn't seem like the Cubs had anything going their way in a lot of ways. And it would have been easy, and I think a team, even this version, or not this version of the team, but an earlier version of this team this season, yeah. it would have gone that, you know, they would have lost two out of three. They would have been swept possibly, and uh, the season would have gone, taken a very different path. And we would have been talking only about wild card and not division right now if the, if the Cubs had lost the last two games. Instead, yeah, they win one nothing, And to be honest, it didn't even feel that close, at least to me watching the game. Like, right. Steele was so dominant, the bullpen was so dominant, the Brewers threatened you know once or twice early I think the first inning and then maybe one other inning against Steele the second inning yeah they had two two on with yeah. with one out yeah but it, like it didn't feel like there was a ton of threats it's you know they hit some balls kind of hard the wind was blowing in at Wrigley speaking of which uh, another reason why I felt like it was a it was playoff, chilly it was chilly it was August and it's like it felt like late September early April yeah I mean we had 100 degrees last week and then we're gonna have it again next week it looks like or at least close to it so you know classic Chicago weather for you but but this, it, it did feel like for a snapshot for these three days in time here that it was Cubs-Brewers, 
playoffs. Cubs had their three best starting pitchers, um, or at least who they hope are their three best starting pitchers, going out there and um, competing against the Brewers. So, yeah, I, I think the fact that they were able to win shows how far that they have come to win one nothing, to almost win 2-1, and then rally back after Adbert blows the save and um, – and Cody Bellinger comes back, and they, they respond immediately. And, you know, after doing nothing offensively against Brandon Woodruff earlier in the game after the first inning. So, yeah, I think I think it just shows how far the Cubs have come to be able to take two out of three here. Yeah, and, and what was just impressive to me, too, is like, as you mentioned, it was it was one nothing game on, on Tuesday. I remember there was at one point, I think it was like maybe like the fourth or fifth inning, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like looking, I'm kind of like, watching the game but I'm kind of zoned out and I'm like yeah the Cubs have like a three nothing lead like it is what it is like they're they're in a good position yeah and then I'm like wait no no they didn't they are far from a three nothing lead like it's a one nothing lead but to your point that's just how it felt with how Steele was pitching and and that's kind of what I wanted to get at next was like the those pitching performances especially by Steele were were really gutsy and were playoff like right Steele to me on Tuesday didn't have his best stuff like I, I like his stuff has been crisper other nights, he's been able to uh, strike guys out earlier in the season, like, et cetera, et cetera. He didn't have his best stuff on Tuesday. But he was able to grind out that that outing. He was able to, to grind through a really tough Brewers lineup that was kind of falling away every every ball. It seemed like there were so many two-strike counts that they were just falling off, like, three, four, five pitches. And the you pitch counts racked, racking up. Yeah, I remember you turned into me in, like, the third or fourth and was like, I don't know if he even goes five. Times. Right, yeah. right, because it just it was – the pitch count was so high early – that it just didn't look like he was going to go deep. And, and really, the, the Cubs needed Steele to go deep, just given how they kind of used their bullpen the day before. And and thinking about the next day, it's like if you use some arms, you might burn them for Wednesday. For Steele to be able to go to the, the, that sixth inning and then turn it over to lighter, a, a well-rested lighter, a well-rested uh, Merriweather, and then a well-rested Edward Alzai, I thought was huge. And I think that was that was a, a, a really big case for, for Justin Steele. To not only solidify his place as the Cubs ace, which like if at this point if you didn't think he was his ace, the Cubs ace, you, you haven't been watching the Cubs really all season, but also his Cy Young candidacy, yeah. right? Like I think it, we we've kind of blown over it because I think we've kind of taken for granted how good Justin Steele's been, but he's a real Cy Young candidate. Will he win the Cy Young? I don't know. It's still there's still a month of baseball left. A lot of things can happen, but this was the the outing where you, you can look at the end of the year and say like that's why he should have at the very least, garner votes for the for the NL Cy Young. Yeah, and I know wins aren't everything. You know, our guy Rick Sutcliffe loves the win. Yeah. But beyond that, they're not, like, everything. He has 15 wins going yeah. into September now. Like, he re- has a very realistic shot at getting 20. And I don't even know the last Cub pitcher that won 20 games. It was it Arietta in 15? Thank you. Kyle is shaking his head. Yes, so it was Arietta in 2015. But, um, yeah, I mean, that would be huge. And I agree with you. Definitely a Cy Young candidate. To go out there, too, and to beat Corbin Burns uh, like that and – Sure, you're not always pitching against the other pitcher, but in a way you are when it's Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, and you know that the Brewers have a really good bullpen in the back end as well, and you you're gonna your offense is gonna be lucky to maybe scratch across one, two, three runs, and both Steele and Hendricks did that, and I think that also shows where the Cubs have come to to, to lose game one and then come back and beat Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, who are two of the better pitchers in the game. Woodruff is just coming back from you know, a long stay on the IL, but yeah, like, and the Cubs have beat Burns now five times in a row. The last five times they faced him, he hasn't beat them since 2021. Like it's a, I think it's a big deal for sure to, to do that, but that, that gives this team confidence and Steele hasn't pitched in these big moments, but career high in pitch count Tuesday night, 
He's already well past his career high in innings. He's learning these moments. He's obviously passing every test that is coming up. But all these other guys, I mean, Nico Horner played in a pennant race in 2019. You can count 2020, I guess, but like that was so different. There weren't fans in the stand. That The atmosphere, the energy, just it, it's not comparable to other playoff years. But a lot of guys on this roster have not done it. Kyle Hendricks has. Wednesday he talked about, you know, just like how important it was to, to beat those two pitchers, Burns and Woodruff, but also to get wins out of this and to learn what it's like to be in, in playoff atmosphere around here. Adbert Al's like closing games out in a playoff atmosphere. Mark Leiter Jr., Julian Merriweather, guys have been around the game a bit but haven't done it at Wrigley, haven't pitched in playoff-type atmospheres. Like, um, you know, Dansby Swanson, Jan Gomes have obviously done it, but again, not here and not in this situation. So I think for the entire team to learn, Christopher Morrell to get to that point, like all these guys is there's going to have a carryover effect, and we don't know how the next month is going to play out, but I think it's very possible that this – two-game series is their most important series win, maybe of the season, but certainly of the last few few or uh, last few weeks at least, yeah. And the, another thing I wanted to mention was with Justin Steele, we're kind of glossing over the fact that he took a 100.2-mile-an-hour yeah. liner from Victor Caratini to the, to the leg area and still was able – I think he got better after that, which is he weird did. to say. Like, that happened, and he, then he allows a single, and it's first and second with one out – gets the ground ball double play to end it. And then after that, he was kind of in cruise control. I think he retired 11 of the next 12 batters he faced or something like that. So it was it was a really, really impressive outing given what he went through, right? Where it's like you take a 100-mile-an-hour liner to the leg, which is, I believe it was his, it would have been his right leg because it was his uh, it, the, the, his leading leg. Like that's kind of putting a lot of pressure on, on that leg that, that is so crucial for him as he works on his mechanics or as he goes through his motion and, and goes through his mechanics. That was really impressive. And to your point, the, the environment, I think something I maybe got overlooked, we'll, we'll get a little overlooked, was that bottom of the eighth inning gets started with Christopher Morrell. And I know he got thrown out at home and he didn't score the, the winning run, but he starts it off with a, with a hard shot to short that was ruled an error. Should have been a hit. I Probably should have been a hit, but... That was a really good at-bat by him, and it's one of those things where I was kind of thinking, like, he's going to be swinging for the fences. He's going to be trying to crush that ball to, to give the Cubs the lead, but he kind of shortened his approach, just kind of took what, what, what uh, Piamps gave to him, got that error hit, whatever you want to call it, to short, and kind of got the offense rolling, got the Cubs on, on, on their way to the win. That's a big-time moment that he experienced in a playoff-like environment, in a crucial setting and let it off for the Cubs to kind of get that the, the offense rolling in that big moment. Yeah, and then right after that, you know, Mike Talkman comes up with a big walk, and Talkman hasn't had uh, a ton of hits or maybe a ton of big hits the last couple of weeks. You know, he's been slumping maybe in that department, but he still draws walks. He still yeah. does exactly what Ross has liked about putting him in the, the leadoff spot is controlling the strike zone. And so, yeah, to, to come through, you know, Cody Bellinger had one of his worst games we've seen in the entire season as a Cub, like swinging and misses on pitches out of the zone, chasing a bit more. Just didn't look like himself the first three at-bats. You know, comes up, hits a rocket off of Piams, and then ends up beating out the throw because, one, he's really fast. Two, he was running really hard. Three, he hit the ball hard, and it kind of caromed off far enough. And so that's how the Cubs score their winning runs. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it wasn't the prettiest of days or prettiest of back-to-back days for the Cubs offense, yet they're 2-0 in the game. So the, definitely huge. That's how it is in the playoffs, right? No, yeah. no one looks at, at, at how you won. They look at whether you won two games or, or you won the three games or the four games to win the series. You, they don't look at, oh, you won 10 to nothing, or, oh, you, you played perfect baseball, error-free. Like, no, they look at the wins. That's, that's what matters at the end of the series. Yeah, and, and I think, too, it's like finding ways to win and the confidence and belief in themselves. Like, Yes, we already touched on it that earlier in the season doesn't feel like the Cubs win these games. But, like, 
this just feels like a different Cubs team without really changing much. I mean, right. Jamer Candelario on this current roster is the only addition at the deadline, right? Like Jose Quas is currently on the bereavement list, but like that it, it's, it's a totally different vibe and atmosphere. And in May and early June, it was like the team was almost finding ways to lose games. And, yeah. and it was, um, the bullpen wasn't quite as solidified. The offense didn't seem quite as lengthy. Cody Bellinger was obviously out for, for that entire time that I was talking about, which is huge. But um, they're finding ways to win games and figure it out, and, and that's what they've done. I mean, they're 11-1-1 in their last 13 series. That's that's incredible stat. That goes back well over a month. So, like, that's I, I, that's how you get back into it. That's how they got back into it was, like, they didn't have to rattle off eight-game winning streak after eight-game winning streak. They, they had the one eight-game winning streak, but then they win series, and, you know, Three-game series, you have a 667 winning percentage by winning it. They've had a couple four-game series, and they've won two. So, like, just getting back in the race, now they're still very much in the division race. Like, I don't know. I've just been really impressed with this turnaround that we've seen from the Cubs. Yeah, and it, it'll it'll get interesting just given the schedule. And I know we're going to talk about that coming up here soon. But it, it's just impressive for the Cubs, like you mentioned, how they're, they're finding ways to win these games. To me, I think, like, especially the game on Wednesday, early on in the season, where – you think about how much the bullpen struggled, right? It's like you don't know who's going to get those final nine outs or 12 outs or whatever it may be. You didn't know what that case was going to be. And also, like, you feel like that eighth inning where they get the the runner on first and second and you bunt them over, it felt like if that was early in the season, you got to strike out a strike out and strike out and the the rally's over. And also, they probably don't get the bunt down early. Well, yes, they that too. They weren't doing the little Right, thing. right, yeah. right. That's So, like, you know, the, the, those breaks weren't yeah. going their way. Those those. The, remember we talked about, and Ross talked about, everyone kind of talked about those clutch moments early on in the season. They're like, they're not getting a clutch hit. They're not getting the timely hits. And now they're getting them. And, and you're seeing that so that when the bullpen struggles, because as good as those guys, those back three guys, Merriweather, Leiter, and Elzelay have been, they're not going to be nails every single night. It's just impossible for them to, to do that. When they have an off night like Leiter did on Wednesday, for the offense to be able to pick them up, I think it is crucial because – it's going to come back the other way where the offense maybe doesn't get that insurance run. So lighter will be in charge of nailing it down so that they can win that game. So yeah, it's a completely con- contrasting difference to early on in the season with, as you mentioned, it's, it's really the same team. It's what they've been saying all along. Mm-hmm. And now you're kind of seeing what they have been telling what the Cubs players have been saying, where like, we're a good team. We're a good team. It's hard to say that when you're nine, eight games back or, or eight games under 500, now that you're seeing it, you're like, okay, I, we see what you're saying. Yeah, I was talking to Nico Horner before Wednesday's game here, and, and I was talking basically the same concept, right? It's right. like you guys have been saying all along that you believe in this team, you have a lot of confidence. How, what was behind like the turnaround? And he was like, well, we did have that belief, but he's like, we also understood that you have to go out and do it. You can't just say that you believe in this team, that you think you can do something special. You got to go out and do it, and we've done that. And like they have. I mean, they, there was that, I guess, really the first three months of the season, at least, it felt like the Cubs had to be firing on all cylinders in all three facets of the game, or maybe four if you divide starting rotation and bullpen in there. But they had to play good defense. They had to have, you know, uh, the offense click in. They had to have the start good starting pitching and good bullpen, and that was the only way they win games. Now it's like their starting rotation has had a lot of question marks and a lot of ineffectiveness over the last month and a half, yet they've been one of the best teams in baseball during that stretch. The offense has, has had ups and downs, and they've been awesome, and they've added on runs and then these last couple of days you know they they haven't been as great because they face really good pitching they still win the defense has, has you know gone up and down it's mostly been really good bullpen's mostly been really good but yeah I, I just I agree with you like I think that um they're they're just so much of a better team and they're absolutely a contender and 
I think we've known that from watching that, and we've been talking about it on this podcast. But I do think, and, and Hendricks um, alluded to this a bit, that there's more attention from the outside, too, on this series. I think the Cubs just showed the baseball world that they are a true contender. And they maybe they have already. Maybe some people you know, were still doubting them. But now I don't think people are quite as much. Like, they absolutely are a very strong contender in the NL here. Yeah, I remember talking to someone, another reporter, I can't remember who it was, when the Cardinals came into town, I believe it was in May, the first time they came back, when Wilson first came back, he had, remember the, the big story was he was just shifted off catcher and he was he was going to be yeah, a DH, right. yeah. and, and that was kind of the big story. And I remember seeing the Cardinals play, and I thought, especially going into the season, I thought the, the, the division front runners were easily the Cardinals and Brewers. And I remember watching the Brewers play earlier in the year, I'm like, I don't think the Brewers' offense is as good as, as we think or as would be good enough to, to kind of win this division. And then you watch the Cardinals, and you're like, that team is, is not – not that good, and we're seeing that right now. They're in last place, and they're they're not that strong. Pittsburgh started off hot, and in May were really good, but you kind of thought there would be some regression. And, and Cincinnati's kind of been the upstart. But you're in May. I remember thinking like, I don't think the Cubs are as far away as as we think, but they're also not playing. They're not backing it up, right? Yeah. They, especially in May, there was they lost two of three to the Cardinals in that series. So as bad as the Cardinals looked, they still won two of three, if I remember correctly. And it was it, it was just kind of like the. Well, they should be better, and I see what they're saying, but it's it, the rec, the results aren't matching up. And now, as you're seeing it, like yeah, like when you the eye test, the Cubs are just as good as the Brewers, and the Brewers are a really good team. I think I've seen a lot of, especially like fans on Twitter who are like, it's the Cubs' divisions to win, but like the Brewers are good. Like you can't write them off. This series showed that the Cubs are on that level which is a, a team that's really, really good, and that's really encouraging. Yeah, and I mean, keep in mind, too, the Brewers came into this series having won eight in a row and obviously winning Monday. You know, they won nine in a row, and they, right. they had that really tough stretch of, of games, and the Cubs had a really soft schedule, and the Cubs lost ground in that. You know, we talked last podcast about how Jim Deshaies said that he thought by the time this series happened, the Cubs would be in first place. Like, that didn't happen, and even after winning two of three, the Cubs are still three out because, yes, the Brewers are a really good team yeah. with Wordruff back, with Burns pitching really well, Freddie Peralta, Wade Miley, like they do just pitch really well. But yeah, it'll be a tall task for, for the Cubs to, to catch up to them um, for sure. But I, I wanted to touch back on, you know, just what you were talking about with Edward Azalai. I feel like that's um, maybe not an underrated storyline, but definitely a storyline that maybe isn't talked about quite as much of this is a big key to the team is Edward Azalai locking down the ninth inning. He got a really tough luck blown save on Wednesday, only a second of the season. I personally don't really like that stat. Mark Leiter Jr. was the one who loaded the bases, picks up a 26th hold of the season. Edward Alzelay comes in, throws two pitches, and blows the save. Like, yes, he hit a guy with the bases loaded. I don't know. I don't really like it. That It looks like it falls on him, right? Um, but that point aside, that tangent aside, Edward really, I mean, he settled in. He got the next guy out. Then, you know, he gives up, a, gets puts a leadoff guy on in the ninth inning um, through a Cody Bellinger error, but then gets a double play immediately right after that. Uh, you know, got some good defense out there behind him. But, like, he just went back and attacked. And he is just – he has looked every bit like a closer. And this week, too, I think solidified that. Pitching in the two biggest save situations or situations of, of his young career, I think, too. Of He looks like a, a lockdown guy at the back end. And it looks like he feeds and thrives off the big moments. So, like, I, one, he's locked it down. That's been huge. That's allowed Ross to play the, the matchups with Leiter and, and Merriweather. Two, I, I'm – excited to see what Adbert looks like in a playoff environment uh, in, a, in a closing situation. I mean, he might like 
throw his arm completely off with a fist <laughs> pump and the energy of that. But it just he looks like a lockdown guy, and that wasn't something I was thinking. I didn't think he'd be a lockdown closer or be the guy even for this team. So it was a it was an interesting development that's happened this year. A couple points off that. So yes, the the fist bump is is electric, and is, I believe it's called the People's Fist now. Is what it's being referred to on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's hashtag uh, Fred, right? Hashtag yeah, yeah. yeah. Hashtag Dom Fred. It was a big moment you know the fist is the big thing but Tuesday night especially in a night game and the environment of him walking out that was to me the first time like it's felt like a real closer coming out for the Cubs since probably Craig Kimbrell when Sweet Child of Mine starts playing um belly dancer starts playing and the fans start clapping along to the rhythm of the song that was a really cool atmosphere really cool experience that's I mean I think closer but walk up batter walk-ups are really really cool but if you're a closer and you have a really good walkout song, like that's to me, like there's nothing better than that. And Adverts is definitely getting to that point. Like it's, I'm, I wouldn't put it in Mariano Rivera and their Sandman category. <laughs> no, but it's, Not it's, for a few it's, years, yeah. yeah, but it's fun. Like it's, it's just like a cool environment. It's, it's really, really awesome to see. And the second thing, to your point, it's, yeah, there was like realistically coming out of spring. Edward Elzai is maybe like your fourth or fifth option to be a closer if you think about it. Like. Michael Fulmer, Brad Boxberger, Brad Boxberger are probably one A and one B uh, for a closer, and and Fulmer got that opportunity in, in game one in the first game of the season. Brandon Hughes is probably up there. He was the Cubs' best leverage reliever in the second half of last season, and and then maybe Mark Leiter Jr. is probably ahead of him, just given his his pitch mix and it was pretty good. Like those are four guys that are ahead of him. Like Edward Alzali was maybe like a middle reliever, maybe a, a long relief guy. Like we didn't kind of know his role. To see him get to this closer role is really impressive. And David Ross has always talked about, like, you don't really have a closer. So if you don't really have a closer, it gets really hard to work your way backwards. And he mentioned, like, when he had Kimbrell, it was easy because you knew uh, you've got the ninth down and it's just working your way backwards from that in terms of matchups and things like that. Now with Edward Alzelay, you have that. And as you mentioned, it's, all right, we know the ninth's there. If you have Justin Seal or whoever, like, you know you got one, like, ideally you probably have the first through sixth maybe even the seventh locked up, then it's finding those six outs and you can mix around with what you have. That's huge and that shortens the game. Those three outs are, knowing that those three outs are pretty pretty darn well going to be a guarantee, that's a huge mentality. And it's impressive for, for Edward Azulay, given that we didn't think, we didn't know, we really, we didn't think that that would be a, a situation he'd be in this year. No, for sure, yeah. He's absolutely locked it down as a closer. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast. And when we come back, we're going to look ahead a little bit to the upcoming series and uh, just discuss the Cubs in the wildcard race. You've got the jersey, the ball cap, the foam finger. Everyone can see you're a Chicago Cubs fan from a mile away. Ready to take your look to the next level? Upgrade your wallet with an exclusive Cubs debit card, which you can get when you open a Wintrust Cubs checking account. With no monthly fees, free ATMs nationwide, and a $300 bonus when you open your account. Start showing your Cubs pride with every purchase. Sign up at Wintrust.com slash Cubs. Only $100 required to open. No monthly minimum balance and no monthly maintenance fees. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. All right, welcome back into the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Andy Martinez, Tony Andracki here. And Andy, the Cubs obviously just finished up this big series with the Brewers. We just talked, you know, ad nauseum about that. But they have a lot of really big <laughs> series coming up. Like, they had that really soft part of the schedule. Now they have a really tough part of the schedule because they got four against Cincinnati, three against San Francisco at Wrigley next week, and then four against Arizona. By the way, these are all three teams that are directly behind them in the standings. So yeah. uh, we know that all this waiver craziness that's going on, all three of those teams have the, the ability to maybe add a Lucas Giolito or a Matt Moore or whoever else is available on the waivers, uh, which we won't really get into because there's so many moving parts on there. Um, but 
it's it's going to be a really big stretch and it's also really interesting that like this series against the Reds to see how different the Reds team are than than what we've seen already earlier this year at Wrigley Field um in that series where they swept the Cubs but just like how how much of a difference I think it's come like there was a stretch there was a month or two where a lot of people were thinking that this is the Reds division going yeah. back to your point a little earlier in the pod this was the Reds division to win and now they've fallen off quite a bit as well but this is going to be an absolutely huge weekend and huge stretch coming up for the Cubs yeah and it, it's it starts with a doubleheader uh on Friday where that's that's going to be a, a big matchup for both teams to, to, to try and get off on the right foot the the Reds are looking at this as an opportunity if you if they win three or four or even sweep, to really put themselves back in probably in the division race, uh, may, maybe as a long shot division race. They definitely put themselves in a good position in the wild card. So this is a huge series for them. It's a huge series for the Cubs because conversely, if they take three or four or maybe even sweep, you kind of bury the Reds uh, in the for sure in the division. I, they might already be in that situation in the division. You might bury them in the wild card, and, and that kind of creates some more some more relaxation in the sense that you kind of feel better about your playoff chances. It's a big series, and this Reds offense is very, very good. Like, I know they've been struggling, but the offense is still very, very good. There's still a lot of good at-bats in that lineup that that's, to me, what is going to be the challenge, just trying to make sure you get those 27 outs without giving up too many runs. Yeah, and I think, too, I mean, right now the pitching probable is for Friday for that doubleheader is Jordan Wicks in one of the games, you know, the yep. rookie who had a really strong outing on Saturday in Pittsburgh this past Saturday. Right now TBD for the other uh, the other starter on Friday. The Cubs are kind of moving everybody else back. Javier Assad is on, on rest to go on Friday, but they're going to have him start Saturday, Jameson Tyon, as of now, as of Wednesday evening here. Uh, they're going to have Tyone on Sunday. That also puts Steele, you know, back to like Monday then. So I think that's good. That gives, you know, Hendricks coming off a shoulder injury, Steele, like we already talked about on a much higher workload. And then Javier Assad, who's pitched in a lot of different roles and now has been starting here, like not taxing those guys too much and obviously giving, you know, Tyone and and Wicks and stuff, their normal rest and and even extra in between. We don't know what we're going to do, you know, for, for game two or game one, if they choose to have Wicks start game two. But just what are you looking for from Jordan Wicks in his second start here after seeing the way that he responded to adversity in start one? Yeah, it's, I'm seeing how he builds off of that. I don't think he's going to retire 15 in a row, um, <laughs> but I didn't think that in the debut. If he can give them five innings, six innings, uh, realistically probably five innings, just given that he really hasn't stretched, been stretched out past five innings in the minor leagues, it's it's going to be – that would be huge for the Cubs. That, that, shortens, the th- that shortens everything. We're going to get into it a little bit, but you get that expanded roster, so you have that extra arm that you can maybe pull him after five if, if things are looking good and be able to go to your bullpen a little bit earlier. To me, the, the important is just trying to keep him in the game. And he looked really, really good in that Pittsburgh start after he kind of settled down. That changeup is legit. Like, that changeup is as good as advertised. It can get it's, – it got hitters off timing. It got, it got hitters out. It induced swing and miss. Like, that. that's a really good pitch. Now, the the book is out on that, right? Like, the changeup is good. Everyone in the league knows that now. It's one start, but the, the league knows that. The Reds are going to know that. They're going to know that the changeup's coming. So can he use those other pitches to kind of stymie the, the offense? That's that's what I'm going to be watching. And if he can do that, that's the sign of a progressing pitcher. That's a sign of a good pitcher. And that's what would allow him to go deep and give the Cubs a chance to win. Yeah, and we talked to Alex Cohen you know, a week ago on this podcast, and he said that one of the things that Jordan Wicks does really well is he – 
keeps the team in games. So even if he struggles to start, which we already saw his MLB debut, you know, gives up a homer right away, a walk and a single, and ends up retiring 15 straight. So I think he can keep the team in the game. And given just the fact that obviously Marcus Stroman's still in the IL, Mark, Drew Smiley just had not been working out in the rotation for months now. Um, I think it, it's definitely interesting to see what Wicks can do down the stretch, maybe with an extended run here. Uh, in the rotation and also very helpful for a guy who figures to be a big part of the future rotation mm -hmm. to learn to pitch in these really high intensity environments and you know with a guy like Keegan Thompson back up you have him you have Hayden Wisniewski you have some of these long relief guys available as well and like you mentioned too the expanded roster so September 1st no longer do you get all the way up to a 40-man roster obviously the minor leagues are still going on so a little bit of a schedule change there too in recent years but you get two guys. You get a starter, sorry, a pitcher and a position player, and the Cubs are going to be adding those. You know, for Friday, they don't get an extra guy because of the doubleheader or anything like that. Normally, you would get a 27th man. It's just 28. You get an extra pitcher. You get an extra position player. So, Andy, let's start with position player. Make a case for me. We've talked about this a bunch off the podcast. Yeah. Make a, make the case for me of why. Peeker Armstrong might not be the guy they call up right away on September 1st. I think there's there's a couple of things. I think there's the, the, the big thing is there's no regular playing time, right? There's The outfield's kind of covered. That Ian Happ's in left field. Cody Bellinger or Mike Talkman's in center field. Seiya Suzuki is in right field. That's Those are the three guys. That's that's There's just no consistent playing time for him. Really, what he would if he were to get called up on September 1st, which, again, yes, there's the possibility. I don't think it's going to happen. September, if he gets called up, he's a defensive replacement at best, and he's a he's a, a, a pinch run threat. That's it. Like that that there's just the, not the consistent playing time that you're looking for out of him. And realistically, like it, the, the the Cubs just want him to co continue playing and, and developing at AAA. And there's no they don't feel the rush to necessarily put him on on September 1st. Jared Banner spoke with with writers uh, during the Brewer series, and September 1st isn't a deadline, right? It's not like they have to have Pete Crow Armstrong on September 1st or else they he's not going to be able to play. Like, yes, if you want him on the playoff roster, obviously you have to add him before September 1st, but there's no need to have him on September 1st. That's why I think that there's there's not necessarily a rush to have him on September 1st. Yeah, because of the, the everyday playing time. Like, he still has so much development. He's yeah. been in AAA for about a month now. I, right. I don't remember exactly how long it's been there, but only a matter of a few weeks. And other than that, had not played again above AA. So, yes, it's valuable to, to have a guy like that up here. But I, and we've talked about this already, too, in the podcast. I think there's a lot of value in a, a guy like Miguel Amaya, who wasn't playing a ton, learning, catching a bunch of bullpens, learning on the fly in a pennant race, but also just in the season, even if, not, if, if he's not playing all the time. I don't think there's a ton of value of PCA being around for a full month to when he's not playing every day, when he still does have a lot of development to yeah. do. And not defensively. He seems like he's one of the best defensive outfielders in the game, even right now, but offensively and maybe base running and just, you know, maturing and learning as a player, as an everyday player, learning a lot about playing this deep into the season because last year was the only time he did that. He was hurt for all of 2021, you know, the year he was drafted. So um, I do think that makes a lot of sense, and I do think it makes a lot of sense to have him up at some point in September because he's a big part of the future. Learn how, what it's like. Learn what Wrigley Field is like. You know, don't maybe he's not playing much, but like just watch the atmosphere and soak it in and learn. Day, allow yourself to daydream about like this is what I want to do next year. This is why I want to make the opening day roster in 2024 and help the Cubs back to the playoffs, win a World Series, all that kind of stuff. That's all super valuable, but 
Yeah, I agree with you that I don't think he's he's going to be the guy on September 1st. Now, maybe you listen to this podcast on Friday afternoon and we're all proven wrong. <laughs> but I think Alexander Canario, another prospect, makes a lot of sense. Already on the 40-man roster, so the Cubs don't have to make a move in that regard. And you've, you, you're the one who put this in my head weeks ago about this is he's out of options, we believe, next year, which means the Cubs would have to keep him on the 26-man roster next season or trade him or wave him, pass him through waivers, which he won't get through. But you get an idea of what maybe what he can do in part-time role. And he's been playing really, really well in AAA down there too. So he seems like a guy to me that maybe he's not the first guy up, but I think he has a stronger chance of, of being a guy up, uh, whether on September 1st or beyond. Yeah, he really does. And to me, one of the things that the Cubs were hoping for Alexander Cornard was just to get healthy, right? It was a gruesome injury that he suffered playing in the Dominican Winter League over the winter. It was a gruesome injury. They just wanted him to get back to playing, and they weren't trying to expect the 37 home run guy that he was last season. They just wanted him to, to be playing and get regular bats. Well, lately in AAA Iowa, he kind of looks like the 37 home run guy, which if that's the case, then, yeah, you kind of want that, that pop up there. You want him to experience that. And to me, there's also like the Miguel Amaya effect, right? When Miguel Amaya was called up early on in the season, it was when Jan Gums went on the concussion IL, and he was the only other catcher on the 40-man roster if they were going to add a, a backup catcher to Tucker Barnhart they were going to have to make a 40-man move they weren't really in a position to kind of DFA anyone to, to create that spot so they called up Miguel Amaya straight up from double A and he looked like he belonged and that was kind of an eye-opening thing for the Cubs maybe that's the case with Canario like you don't know until you get him up here you don't really know what he's capable of at the big league level until he's up here and I think there's value in that if he comes up and same thing, same thing happened last year with Christopher Morrell. He was called up, and it was like, this guy's going to fill a role for a week while the he's Cubs go through at, injuries. Yeah, he's already he's on, on the 40-man. Like, we just, need, we just need a body up here. What does he do? He, he never leaves. Like, that, yeah. there's a possibility that happens, you, but you don't know until you do that, and that's why there's so much value in having Canario up and why there's a good chance he could be the, the guy that comes up on September 1st. Yeah, and Ross already alluded to it before Wednesday's game, too, that, like, there's just not everyday at-bats. And, and he, whoever comes up isn't necessarily even going to be the first pinch hitter off the bench, too, in a situation. I mean, like, we saw Chris Romero come up and, and pinch hit for Miguel Amaya in the top bottom of the eighth inning. I mean, it's not like Canario is going to suddenly get those at-bats when you have Miles Mastroboni also on, on the bench, and you have uh, Patrick Wisdom and some of these other guys that are out there that have much more experience and have already been productive in uh, you know roles and are able to play matchups. So um, I don't think the position player is going to come into play a ton. You know, the position they're not going to be an impact bat. Yeah, at, at least right now, and they probably won't see a ton of playing time unless there's a lot of injuries. And also, as Ross alluded to, like with Iowa still playing, like there's still the the roster. Um, movement that they can continue to do throughout September and PCA or Canario or whoever else is still in the minors can continue to play and the Cubs can maybe call them up later in September but I think the big thing will be adding another arm especially for that doubleheader on, on Friday but um, there's a lot of arms that that could potentially be options you know Shane Green is not on the 40-man roster been pitching well actually been stretched out as a starter but this is a guy a veteran with you know at former closer uh pitched a lot of big high leverage innings in detroit and throughout his career pitched in atlanta and so on uh you know he's a guy that maybe could could be added to the roster caleb killian can provide some length uh anthony k is up right now jose quas is on uh bereavement list maybe quas comes back k stays that's one of the options but another option brad boxberger we already talked about like he was a high leverage guy at the start of the season he's missed three months now with a forearm strain that ended up being pretty serious but he's on his way back. He's made multiple rehab outings. He was just in Chicago kind of getting checked out, throwing a bullpen with the Cubs staff. Um, going back to Iowa, maybe he 
appears, you know, he's appearing in a game Wednesday, maybe he's ready to go for Friday, or maybe at some point this weekend after the doubleheader, it looks like that's a possibility, at least. It's, it's on the horizon. It's something that wasn't on the horizon for, for a matter of months because we didn't know if he'd be back. Yeah, that that's that's the the beauty of it, right, that he could he could be one of those guys that could come back and provide some high leverage arms, especially right now with Michael Former bringing out that yeah. we think it's a minimum stay on the I.O., but we don't know that. I wonder if in on September 1st the Cubs get creative because of the doubleheader or maybe they call up like a Caleb Gillian or Green to kind of provide length, for, especially for the second game where they don't have a starter announced. Right. Like maybe it is Killian or Wisniewski that start and provide depth, and maybe the next day, maybe you option Killian or whoever it is and bring back Jose Quas or something like that, or, or maybe you option Anthony K. You bring back Quas. Yeah, I don't know. You get creative with with how it could be. I think the the September first call up. There's a chance that that could be like a one day call up thing to provide length because of the bullpen, and then maybe you see like the quote unquote like long ter- longer term uh, September call up on September second maybe because of. The, the doubleheader, I think that kind of yeah. gets that kind of thing makes things a little tricky. It adds and a definite they just, wrinkle, yeah. And they just need the depth, and and I think someone like Caleb Killian makes sense because it, he can provide the depth, whether that's starting, whether that's in relief. I, I I think if you see a September first call, if you're a Cubs fan and you see a September first call up, and you're like, well, why isn't it this guy? And it's like, well, they, they're the logistics of that first day with the doubleheader kind of throw a wrinkle in it. Yeah, for sure. It'll certainly be really interesting to decide or to see what the Cubs decide for roster call-ups. And like we said, you know, roster moves are probably going to be fast and furious for the final month of the season as the Cubs really make a push in this thing. But that'll do it for our podcast this week. Thank you so much for, for tuning in, for listening. Uh, as always, we are presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check us out in video form in the Marquee Sports Network app or YouTube. For Andy, I'm Tony. Thanks for tuning in.